Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solution Center, L3C. Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago. I'm Samina Roundtree, one of the law clerks at SATC Law. Today, our featured guest is Miranda Parker of Syndicated Equities, where she handles investments and acquisitions. Miranda, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Great. So um, we're pretty much going to jump right in. Um, I know you're working um, at Syndicated Equities, but I want to start with sort of how you got to Chicago because I was looking. Um, and I saw that you have a degree from the University of Southern California. Yes. So are you originally from Chicago and you went to California or were you from California? Yeah, so I am a true Chicagoan. Okay. I was born here. Um, I lived here my whole life except for college. Okay. And so I hated the winter like most people. Sure. <laughs> and I told my parents, I'm going to go far away in the sun and you guys can come <laughs> visit me. And so I was there for all four years. And my senior year, I was actually working in downtown Los Angeles. Okay. Um, it was my plan to stay there after I graduated oh, really? and, and live there on the beach and kind of yeah. live that SoCal <laughs> dream. But... I miss Chicago. I mean, yeah. it's such a great city. There's so much to do here. I was sick of driving two hours in traffic. Yeah, I hear that's bad. Yeah, so <laughs> it really was a last-minute decision to move back. Okay. Um, but I'm really happy that I'm here. It's I think it's like the most underrated city yeah. in America, so <laughs> I'm a Chicagoan. Good, yeah. We're, we're glad to have you back in the city. Um, so I saw that your degree was in planning and real estate development. Yes. And so does that mean that real estate was always an interest of yours? Like, how did you get interested in that? Yeah. So I've always been interested in real estate since I was young. Okay. Um, it's the only thing I remember ever really wanting to do. I wanted to be a real estate developer and I used to watch shows and I bought books on real estate development when I was like 10 or 11 years old and <laughs> it was Quite bizarre. No one in my family is in real estate. Okay. Yeah, I mean, not anyone. And so it just sparked my interest when I was a young kid. And so I wanted to be a developer. And I was really lucky that USC had a really good real estate program. Yeah. Um, it was actually under the School of Public Policy. Okay. So the full name is the Price School of Public Policy and Planning. Okay. And my track was real estate development. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I tell people to think of price is if you were building a community from the ground up, mm -hmm. these are all the people who you would want. Um, so your public planners, your health providers, they had a nonprofit track. And so I was on the real estate development side and all my classes fell into that. Okay. So it was a really good, um, quite holistic education. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. You never really, or I haven't really seen a lot of uh, degrees that are that specific towards yeah. real estate development. Sometimes you get like a certificate program or it's something people go exactly. more for like grad school or something for. So. Yeah, and so it, it was yeah. fun. And a lot of the classes were on um, the history of housing in the U.S. Okay. And so you looked at it more from a personal view where real estate has a, of course, an impact on people and right. not, it's not just a building. There's, right. there's a lot of consequences with it. And so it kind of switched my mindset from, oh, well, yeah, I want to be a developer. It looks cool. And you make money to, right. well, how can we have an impact on people and how does the built environment help communities? Yeah. So it was, it was a great learning experience and it kind of 
help me um, switch my focus a little bit. Yeah. Do you think that growing up in Chicago, where we're sort of like known for our architecture and like the community base, do you think that maybe influenced like your... Oh, for sure. Yeah. I remember going on like the river architectural tours all the time and um, going to museums and going Mm -hmm. downtown. And that's what brought me back to Chicago is that sense of the built environment around you and looking at the buildings and everything's just so stunning and even now walking to work every day, just seeing yeah. the skyline and, and the water and the river, it's just the coolest thing to me. Yeah, so I, I think, love walking through the city. It's like one of my favorite things to It's do. so nice and I love traveling. So I've, yeah. I've been to most of the major cities in the U.S. and mm-hmm. not, nowhere I think is as beautiful as yeah. Chicago. So. <laughs> yeah, so um, let's talk about how how you did come from uh, Southern California to yeah. coming back to Chicago. Yeah, so when I was there, I was working for a brokerage company, okay. BRC Advisors, um, and they were in downtown LA. And so once I graduated, I, I came back home and I was looking for jobs. And to be quite honest, nothing was interesting to me. There's a lot uh-huh. of brokerage positions, um, a few analyst jobs, but nothing that really seemed like it'd be a good fit and I didn't sure. want to jump into something and regret it right, right. away and luckily you no, know, I was at home um yeah. and that's a big thing now you, you stay at home for a while and that kind of awarded me this opportunity where I saw an internship available okay. at syndicated equities mm-hmm. and they're a small company about 15 people it was a three-month internship okay. and the premise was you know you work you learn a lot Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the three months, they'll help you find jobs um, okay. with their connections and referrals, sure. you know. Yeah. So it's just a way to get your foot in. And, of course, Chicago and real estate in general being so who you know. Yeah, I was going to say the Chicago uh, yeah. investment sort of uh, real estate market is very networking-based. Um, yeah, so it's that- good that they – like give you that opportunity definitely and a lot of my my contacts were in california and so that was really hard for me i didn't really realize that when i came back was those connections that i made i wouldn't be able to rely on them um and no one in my family like i said was in real estate or none of my friends so i just thought it was a really good opportunity to learn and and get out there and so i was working there for about a month when the CEO and president, Richard Kaplan, asked me to stay on full time. Wow. You yeah, must have done really was, good work that month. <laughs> I think it was honestly just right timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made an effort to get to know everyone. And, yeah. you know, it, it was important to me to help as much as I could. Yeah. And I think they saw that, that I was a hard worker and I cared. Yeah. And so right timing, right place. And they asked me to stay on. And so um, after that one mo- month, excuse me, I, I joined the acquisitions team. Okay. So I've been with that ever since. Yeah. And so um, when I see the name syndicated equities, that, that doesn't really tell me very much. Yes, so exactly. So can you just tell us uh, sort of what they do mm-hmm. and then um, what you do there of course. as well? Well, the name actually is quite literal. Um, okay. They're a true syndicator. And that just means we pull capital from multiple investors to buy commercial real estate. Okay. Um, most of our investors are friends and family, family offices. They're all accredited. So any high net worth individual who wants to place their money with a group of other high net worth investors and, mm-hmm. and buy property. Okay. Um, we've been around for over 30 years and we buy property throughout the country in okay. all asset classes. 
So we own multifamily, student housing, office, industrial. We own a parking garage in Chicago. Okay. So really everything. Yeah. And what we do best is we raise money. Okay. We're not quite property managers or developers. We raise the money and, and buy stabilized assets. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And so where does your, what do you do? Yeah, um, of course. That? So I'm on the acquisitions team. Mm-hmm. We're eight people. So half the company. Okay. <laughs> and I help find new property for us to buy. Okay. I work on the 1031 side and 1031s is simply um, a tax tool that real estate investors can use to defer capital gains on okay. their property. Mm-hmm. So if you have an investment property, it can't be your sole, your first home. It right. has to be an investment property. And if you want to buy another one and sell that, you do not have to pay capital gains. So state taxes, national taxes okay. on those gains, and you can defer those into the next property. Okay. Um, so you still have to pay them eventually. Right. But what we say is swap to your drop. Sure. And so if you do it the right way, you don't have to pay those gains. But it's just a tool to put more capital out there. Okay. Um, and it's been used for, for a long time. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, when you're looking for properties, what what sort of factors go into the decision? What are you looking for? Of course. So we have a, a pretty defined, um, I guess, list, you would say. Mm-hmm. We love stabilized assets. So let's say we're looking at an industrial property. We mm-hmm. will most likely want a single tenant, and we're looking to see if they're cre- credit worthy. Okay. Um, we want to make sure they have a strong financial history, it's really important that our investors know what they're doing um, because they want to feel comfortable with with that with that tenant. Uh-huh. If you are comparing, let's say, a large medical group to um, a new restaurant that's just starting out, you know, there's right. going to be different risk factors involved. And mm-hmm. in. all real estate is risky just by the nature, but mm-hmm. we try and tend towards to focus on the lower risk side. Yeah. Um, so that's a big a big factor is who is a tenant. Of course, where is it located? Mm-hmm. Where is the market? We focus on, I'd say, primary and secondary markets. Okay. So we love the Midwest. We have a lot of properties in the Midwest. Um, we have some in Florida, Arizona, Washington, D.C. It really just depends. But we can't compete with the large institutional players in um like LA or New York, sure, we're, we're priced out of those markets, mm-hmm. but we really do look everywhere. So yeah. if I'm looking at a new deal, the first thing I do is look at the market, um, run the demographics. I want to see who's living there, who's going to move in, move out. Is it stable? Is the market to have growth potential? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of different factors come into play as well. Yeah. And so this sounds like more of a situation where you and your team have like most of, if not all of the control over what properties you're investing in rather than do your clients have any input? Yeah. Um, So how it works is on the front end, you know, we go and we find the properties. Mm -hmm. And once we find a deal, it's up to us to close the deal, um, write out an executive summary. Uh And then once that's done, we send out that summary to our investors. And they then have the opportunity to actually, they literally just will call us or email us and say, Hey, this looks great. I want to invest X amount into this deal, okay. and they'll they'll send us a check. Um, and they have the opportunity, on the other hand, to say, 
you know what, I don't like hotels, I'm going to wait off, or sure. you know what, I'm not sure about this one, it's not for me. Great. So we're not a REIT or a fund. Uh-huh. Our investors have 100% of control of what they want to invest in. Right. And so we keep that in mind when we're looking at deals. What right. will our you investors know what types like? Of yeah, exactly. Investors um, like, but still, you get to choose the properties, yes. and then they sort of decide whether they're opting into that particular property yeah, or not. Exactly. Cool. Um, and so, um, in my experience from Chicago, like Chicago real estate, and from uh, just interacting with people in this market, um, and because it's so network based. Um, it's very, it tends to be very male dominated. Of course. And um, so how have you found that transition, especially not knowing anyone and being like a younger woman entering into this field? Yeah, um, that's that's a great question. It's been, I think, very interesting. And in my, through my perspective, my company has um, more females than males, actually. Okay. And from most other experiences, it's tended to be quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, that's just I, I'm just a small portion of that. Sure. But when I do go out, go out and network, or when I go to these events and hear speakers, or mm-hmm. um, go to panels, it is very male dominated. Um, to the point where it, it's so obvious that you don't think about it so much. Right. But I think in the last year, there's been much more talk of how can we get other people into the spotlight? What have other yeah. people been doing? And so that's been great. And I've mainly seen nothing but positive um, nothing but positive things from people who want to include everyone and want to yeah. be inclusive. And so I think it's definitely changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of forces me on one end to just be confident in what I do. Yeah. And so when you are walking into a room of all older males, mm-hmm. you don't want to look like a wink link. Right. Um, I really believe in fake it till you make it. Yeah. And so <laughs> I I have to go up to these men and talk to them. And I've done it enough where I am not as intimidated, uh-huh. um, which is really nice. Yeah. You know, it's kind of just psych yourself out yeah but when I started and I was just an intern I went to networking events and you Mm -hmm. just have to go up there introduce yourself and either they're very receptive and it's Mm -hmm. been great or people just don't want anything to do with you um, in a sense so you just have to always stay positive and and put other females out there and so that's been really cool is a lot of people at my work the men and the females want to see um more women involved and more women mm-hmm. in, in leadership roles. And so that's been really cool. And for me to find a group of like-minded colleagues in the industry. Yeah. I'm who sure are, that's who like females has been so, so wonderful is, is to have that support, not just in my company, but um, mm-hmm. kind of like a small army of, of girls out there. Yeah. I, I would think that it definitely bolsters you a little bit, even thinking, you know, when you go into these other situations, you at least know that you have, uh, your team support like yeah, behind you exactly and it, it's so great to talk to people about their experiences mm-hmm. because finding others who've gone through the same thing you have no matter what it is there's just such yeah. a relief to that and such a comfort and so just having people to bond with has been yeah has I'm been sure great. when you find other women in the field and you sort of latch on and, yeah uh, and it, it makes work so much fun you know and it's it's a fun industry I mm-hmm. think if you're in it you love it yeah and no matter who you are that passion comes through yeah so that's been that's been awesome yeah do you think it sort of also forces you to be 
like on the top of your game when you go into these situations? Like, do you ever feel like when you go into networking events or when you're meeting new people that you are being like a little more, not necessarily criticized, but people are just like taking more notice because you are of like fewer females? I would think so. Yeah, definitely. Um, No one's ever said anything. Right. But you you want to create a way where it's it seems as if you almost have an edge on the next person <laughs> yeah um and I felt that way mainly if there's mostly males in the room mm-hmm. luckily if there's females I I've never felt um like there's competition yeah. which has been interesting because I hear about that a lot and I'm sure it's yeah. it's a big issue but I've been lucky to not run into that. I've mostly ran into other females who are who have been in the industry longer to want to support me. Yeah, and so. I usually wonder who's writing those articles because <laughs> in my experience, when you are in a male-dominated field, when you meet other women, yeah. you usually want to support each other of and course. like see other women go farther. Um, and so yeah, I haven't run into much yeah. of that like female-female competition either. But that's good to hear. Just as a personal interest, what was your like class makeup like when you were at USC yeah. in the real estate? Were there was it heavily male there too? It was mostly male. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a good amount of females though. Okay. Actually, um, I'm not sure if that was specific to USC. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the females who were in that class, their family was in real estate. Okay, so I think that yeah. had a lot to do with it actually. But it definitely was male-dominated. And all of my professors, I think, except one who was, I think it was an econ course, mm-hmm. um, they were all male. They were uh, all white male. Yeah. And so that, I think, in hindsight, was something I didn't really pay attention to at first. But mm-hmm. definitely looking back at it, yeah. it, it was. But it's definitely encouraging to know that there were a growing number of women and that you've in your classes and that yeah. you've seen a growing number of women because, I mean, for a for a while there's still going to be a lot of the older men at the top but eventually we'll work our way yeah and I mean I think LinkedIn's such a powerful tool and I I try and utilize it a lot and I've seen a few females who have been in my classes and they're they're killing it a lot of them actually are commercial brokers and they are just they're doing such a good job so that's inspiring to see and I think yeah. this is a lot to their their hard work and, and dedication yeah I think it's it's sort of a blessing and a curse being a woman in a male-dominated field because you do sometimes feel as though you have to work harder mm-hmm. but then you're putting in that hard work and it's obviously gonna pay off like, yeah it, it really does yeah. and it can only help you in the end right um, so I also noticed on your bio that it said that you have a passion for green energy and sustainability. Yes. So how does that play into all of this other work that you're doing? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I wouldn't say I always felt this passionate about sustainability. I think actually USC taught me a lot, especially mm-hmm. um, those one-off classes that we're real estate focused, but it was more of that holistic uh-huh. sense of, well, where does real estate fall into your life in this right. world? Um, and I think since those courses, I've just started to read more in and just taking on this this passion for, like you said, green energy, green buildings. I mean, people talk about technology now, and that plays a huge aspect into it. I mean, buildings, we use, I think, over 40% of energy is dedicated to buildings. Oh, wow. um, in the U.S. Right. I'm not sure if that number is higher or lower in other countries, mm-hmm. but 
if you think of all the CO2 emissions we're putting out there in the U.S. and 40% come to buildings, well, yeah. obviously that's a huge amount. Yeah. And real estate, I think, is is quite far behind um, as to where we should be in being at the forefront of sustainability because, mm-hmm. you know, these buildings are so old. Right. But it's up to us to to change them so one day they're we're the top technology, you know, in the country. And it's yeah. it's sad real estate's just been slow for the tech industry in general. Um, mm-hmm. because there's just so many different aspects and points to it. Right. And at the end of the day it's does this property make money? I mean right. that's what it is. And so it's changing owners and developers and end users. It's changing their mindset to help them understand that this plays a part in a, in a bigger picture. Right. And so I think it's been really difficult to get all these people in so many different um, parts of the industry to kind of come together for the same right. um, purpose or yeah, goal. Yeah, you've got a lot of, get a lot of people collaborating exactly. on that. Exactly. It's, towards it's it. the architects yeah. and the developers and the zoning ordinances. Right. I mean, there's the cost of construction. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy, but I think that if we don't step up now, who who else is going to do it? Right. You know, it's yeah. not going to be the tenants in your building right. who have the the decisions at the end of the day. It's it's the owners. Yeah. Is this like I know this might be like a partic- well maybe not a particular Chicago problem, but obviously like a lot of buildings also have historical value. Yeah. And so, are there ways to like convert them to be more sustainable, or is this something that you sort of have to start with like a ground level project. I think it goes um, both ways. Okay. So there's a ton of buildings, obviously, that have historical significance in mm-hmm. Chicago. I think a huge problem is one having technology catch up mm-hmm. um, to where it should be, and that's that's happened. So in terms of let's say changing your lighting or sure. um, putting in heating and cooling systems, updating those, that's mm-hmm. possible. Um, even windows that that plays a huge aspect into it, but I think a huge problem is like zoning and building codes, and mm-hmm. it's been really hard for buildings in the cities or owners to get by those and, and pass certain ordinances. I mean, for example, Tegu's Island. For a mm-hmm. while, that was zoned industrial for years, and nothing could be built there because right. the city never changed the codes. Mm-hmm. And so now, after this year, um, finally allowing some urban planning um to grow there, that's going to be a huge boom for the city. And I assume that they're going to make a lot of those buildings LED friendly, mm-hmm. um, hopefully extremely sustainable. But it's, it comes from a lot of different factors. And I think owners would like to do more, uh-huh. but they've just been hindered by um, by many different aspects. So yeah. there are ways to change it, but it's up to the owners to say, hey, this may cost more at the end. Uh-huh. But in the long term, it, it's going to it's gonna be more beneficial, even financially, right. even putting solar panels on the windows or, or on the roofs. You know, that will make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I see that you are a member of the U.S. Green Building Council. Yes. And so are, they're doing this type of work, I assume. What or what is this council yeah, doing? Yeah. So they are really um, they're really involved, I think, with education. Okay. And getting people interested in sustainability and green mm-hmm. energy, and they do a really good job of promoting buildings that fall within the green energy realm. Okay. Um, and so they just kind of are are a really good resource to go to for okay. what people have been doing right. 
Right. You know, you, you go to their events and everyone's really positive and passionate and mm-hmm. has a really good outlook on the future. Okay. Um, and they are Chicago-based. There's an international one as well, but this okay. one specifically for Chicago. Okay. So what advice would you give to people who are, um, like, either investing or developing uh, property to how they can ensure that the buildings that they're they're leasing or building Mm -hmm. can be uh, more sustainable? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, one is financially, I mean, there's always an end game. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of figure out, well, here's my basis and here is the room I'm going to allot myself to put into sustainability, Mm -hmm. then that's a really good place to start. Um, You know, changing out the windows, if you can put solar panels on your roof, that's a huge thing. I mean, that will save a lot of money in the end game, and then also talking to the tenant, the people who are going to live in the building. Um, What do they want? What do they see as something that's worth the extra money? Uh Because if people see something and they really want it, they'll pay for it. Yeah. Um, You know, there's going to have to be negotiations. Right. Um, Let's say if someone wants a clean filter for their air, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have to talk about it, but there are small things you can do Mm -hmm. if you don't want to put a ton of money or completely retrofit a building that that you can do yeah Um, yeah I mean we all we all obviously use building space in some way or another so it definitely sounds like something that you know almost everyone can have some sort of say and you know reach out to whoever is in charge of like your your buildings that you're using and just try to push for more sustainable exactly um, and at least get it on people's minds it's like it's definitely something that once you you notice you can see that there are so many uh smaller fixes too and it's Definitely. not like some like giant like inescapable no it doesn't have <laughs> to be i mean even putting like sensors or timing or timers on your lighting can yeah. be a, a one a small step yeah so there are there are small things and i think we're, we're getting better at them but I definitely wouldn't say it's gonna be when we're only building ground up. I think retrofitting these older, beautiful, historic buildings is mm-hmm. is a huge part of it. Okay, good. Um, so I know you said that you like to travel, and that but you said Chicago is still your favorite of course. city. Is there anywhere else that you really like to be? Yeah. So I've been saying for two years that I'm gonna move to Seattle, but okay. I've never been there, and so. <laughs> Growing up on the West Coast and being on the water, it was, I loved it. I love Uh hiking and I love physical activity. And so that's definitely one thing I miss coming back to Chicago is is having that feature. Um, And so I finally got to go to Seattle two months ago and I loved it. I mean, you're surrounded by trees. You're still on a body of water. There's so Mm -hmm. many hiking opportunities and islands you can go to. And in terms of real estate, that's a crazy market. I mean, there was cranes everywhere, more so than Chicago. And so that's going to be really, really interesting to see where that city is going to be in a couple of years. I mean, of course, it has that tech aspect like San Uh Francisco. And I'm sure that's where a lot of the pricings come come Mm -hmm. from. Um, But it's a really, really cool city. So I love Seattle. And then I'm actually going to... St. John's um, in Canada for Thanksgiving. It's this really tiny town. interesting choice for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's in Newfoundland. (laughs) Um, And so uh, I've never been there before, but I'm I'm intrigued to see, you know, how kind of a a small town life is, you know. 
Yeah, and you have um, like an interesting job where even though you're in real estate, it doesn't sound like it is like everything you do has to be in Chicago. So when you are traveling, are you sort of looking? All the time. Obviously, you said you're looking at the market. So are you sort of thinking about what properties or what areas you might look to invest in? All the time. I mean, it's just it's like second nature to me whenever I go to a different city. Um, or if I see a tenant, for example, Abbott Labs is one of our tenants. We own um, an industrial portfolio in Minnesota. Okay. And so if I go to another town and see an Abbott building, you know, that goes into my head. Or uh-huh. if I see um, a medical office space, I'm like, oh, we would love to buy that. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of always running through my head, this real estate um, mindset. And that's why yeah. I think I love traveling so much is because – the built environment is so different everywhere you go. Uh-huh. And so that plays definitely a role in, in my job and, and in my interests. Yeah, absolutely. And so I assume you're doing the same thing when you are just walking around Chicago. Yes. So is there any particular area of Chicago that you really like to walk in or your favorite neighborhood? or That is... I don't have one favorite, but that is why I love Chicago more than anything. Every neighborhood is so different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I lived in Lincoln Park um, at the beginning of the year, and those beautiful gray stones are just Uh so stunning. And now I'm in Wicker Park, and there's these interesting two flats, you know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of corner um, coffee shops and neighborhood bars, and everywhere is so different. And I think this uprising of adaptive reuse that we've caught on to has been phenomenal. I remember my senior year of high school going into USC, like Sterling Bay was my dream company. Uh And now they've just exploded into this almost phenomenon in Uh in the West Loop. And so I think Chicago has such a, a beautiful historic history to it. I mean, every place you go, there's something new and different. And I don't want to use the word authentic because, of course, that's been used it's quite the to millennial pieces. Buzzword, yeah, but. but everywhere you go, there is such a strong sense of place. Mm-hmm. And if someone, if you lived here and someone dropped you off in a neighborhood, you probably could tell where you are just by your surroundings. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really cool part of Chicago and and, and being a part of such a dynamic, um, diverse town. Yeah, I agree. I love being in Chicago. <laughs> um, so... Um, Sort of finally, um, do you have any advice to people that might be getting into the real estate market? I know you come from a very um, interesting place for real estate, seeing as you didn't know it before you started. (laughs) Um, Yes, I would say network. Network as much as you can. If you are uncomfortable doing it, you still have to. that is where you're going to find people who are like-minded, people who can serve as mentors, give you advice, people who you can help. Um, there's so many benefits in networking. It's it's unbelievable. And it's it gets a bad vibe and a kind of a negative connotation when you use that word. But you have to do it, and you will learn so much throughout the process. Mm-hmm. If you're uncomfortable, I would say – Find one organization or group that you love, mm-hmm. that you want to be a part of, and maybe stick with that until you can grow from there. So for me, my favorite organization is the Urban Land Institute. Okay. Um, they are phenomenal. They are international, and they have a Chicago base too. Um, and they are, I think, the oldest real estate and land use company okay. or organization mm-hmm. 
in, in the US. And so they are a great, great tool for white papers, research, um, articles, for knowledge about real estate and sustainability, mm-hmm. as well as networking. And yeah. so that's been a really cool group for me to kind of work my way through and meet new people mm-hmm. and learn about the industry and, and meet people who I want to talk to. Right. You yeah. Know? Networking is always going to be more fun if you're not doing it just for the sake of networking, but yeah. because you have particular interests and you want to meet other people who exactly. have those interests as well. And and the one thing I mentally tell myself is if I'm not in the mood to go to an event that I signed up for, um, you know, I kind of give myself a pep talk and uh-huh. I say, if you meet one person and it's a good conversation, then it's worth it. Yeah. You know, just meet one person. Um, and if you can figure out a way to help these people that you're meeting, it's mm-hmm. even better. Yeah. You know, you may not know it, but you may know something or know someone else or maybe you made their day by saying something. And uh-huh. so that that makes you feel really good at the end of the day because yeah. it is business, uh-huh. uh, you know, and so you want to have a passion and you want to feel like you are doing your part. And mm-hmm. so finding those small things here and there have, have really helped me. Yeah. I think that's really good advice too, because networking can sound like so daunting, but if you go in and you think if I at least meet one person, like your network can start out small, but you don't have to start off like trying to meet every person in like the conference room that you go to or something. That sounds like an impossible task, but one person, anyone can meet one person. Yeah. And write letters. I think writing letters is really great. Um, Not a lot of people do it anymore, but if someone's helped me out, I just write them a thank you letter. Or if there's someone who... I have not talked to, um, uh-huh. but I want to meet or I admire. I'll write them a letter and introduce myself and ask them for coffee. Wow. And most people will will say yes. So that's been really cool. Yeah, great. Yeah. So is there anything else you wanted to talk about today while we are sitting here? No, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, find your passion, even if you don't know if that's exactly what you want to do. Just try new things and... Um, and go from there, you know, it, it can't help or it can't hurt. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, great. Miranda, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. It was great. Great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solution Center. As always, feel free to reach out to us on social media with your comments and suggestions. You can email us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.